My name's Pastor Shalanda. I'm the children's pastor here. Normally, I'm up here doing a children's dedication, but today I get to co-teach with Pastor Josh. Super excited about that. I am a wife of James Cheatham, and I'm a mother of six. This is my family here. We birthed four of them. And then when we had an opportunity to foster two children, we said, absolutely, yes. Bring us more children. Which is probably why I'm a children's pastor. Who knows? But anyway, can we welcome those who are joining us online? Yes. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12 today. So if you can turn to your Bibles and turn it on or just power on your Bibles and turn to Romans 12, that's going to be our main passage. To catch us all up to speed, we are on the Underground Jesus series. And Pastor Josh and Pastor Nate, the past four weeks, they cover our mission, our model, our mode, and also our motto. So feel free to go back online to watch those because those are made available for you. And today we're wrapping up this series by talking about something that's really important. And that is, what is it like to live in a healthy Christian community? Jesus said it like this in John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. This is a command that he gave to us, not a suggestion, but he really does want us to love one another and to be in community with one another. So what does that look like? Because community is made up of tons of people. (laughs) And when you've got people, you have to have problems that come involved with that. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, and it's a good thing because it's a good part. And it's the, and it's also like the part that's just like, oh my gosh, do I really want to go to this event type thing? Yes, you do. You really do want to come out to the birthday batch. It's going to be awesome. Okay. So I want to talk about Paul for just a moment because he's the one who wrote the book of Romans. He was not one of the original 12, but he had an amazing, powerful encounter with God on his road to Damascus. And he realized at that moment by having that personal experience that he is the Messiah. It was life-changing. He went on to get baptized. He started so many different churches. He preached the gospel everywhere. It was awesome. But then he ran into problems. He realized that the original 12, they did not accept him. They rejected him because they was afraid of him because they feared that he had not actually changed. And I don't know who's here today that might feel like you've been rejected because people don't feel like you've actually changed. But I want to let you know that this right here, this place, this church was built for you. Super excited that we are a hospital for sinners and not a museum for saints. And I'm so glad that we're going to be journeying along with this because also Paul went around to the other churches and he also saw more problems. So if you look at the New Testament, he's writing to all these churches because he's trying to address all these issues. So he's like, let me show you how it really looks like to really love one another. Let me spell it out for you. So we're going to read that out right now. It's super cool. Romans chapter 12. You can turn in your Bibles with that. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. 
Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So if you are writing and taking notes today, the main point that we're gonna be talking about today is what does real Christian community look like? If Jesus said that we are to be known for the love that we have for one another, and by this, the world will know that we are his disciples, what does that exactly look like? So will you pray with me as we go into figuring out how to build this healthy community? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much for this opportunity to come before you and to learn your ways. You are so perfect, you are so holy, and we're so glad, glad that you've given us these imperfect people, Lord Jesus, to come together to know how to live this out. You're an amazing God. We pray, Lord God, that the words that you have allowed and inspired to be written, Lord God, that it would just Cling to our hearts, Lord God, and motivate us, Lord God, to change towards goodness, to move, Lord God, towards being more holy and more like you, because you are an awesome God, and we love you, and we appreciate you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, can we thank Pastor Shalanda for sharing? So lucky to have somebody so passionate about the next generation and a great Bible teacher here at this church, aren't we? Amen and amen. Uh, kids are the future. And I want to share with you this morning, I believe of all the five uh, sermons we've done in this series, this might be the most important. We could fulfill the four movement maker statements we've covered. The, they have the banners out in the hallway. You could read them if you miss the sermons or watch them online. But if we don't love each other in genuine community to, to create the body of Christ that we read about in the New Testament, we'll never see the help that people need in this often difficult world. The most important part is that we actually live out the local church well with each other. So what we're really doing this morning is asking you to join the underground community here, to join the underground community. You're like, what in the world does that mean? It's one thing to join a public worship service. It's another thing to join the disciple-making community of any body of Christ. The church is not just a worship gathering. In fact, in our discipleship pathway, we even spell it out for you really simple that the way that we want you to get involved at the worship service is your first impression is to go to the first step class after the first step class to get involved in volunteering on the weekend and rooted, whether it's in mercy kids or mercy students getting involved, whether it's in community within our 10 week discipleship experience rooted, which is kicking off this Wednesday night, by the way, I'll talk about that in a moment, or whether it's eventually, if you've gone through those things to get into a discipleship huddle, the in or one of our outposts living out on mission, the out. And we want you to pray about what is your next step in the life of the church. And here is why this is so important. 
Uh, I was actually at this conference years ago uh, with a pastor in Tampa was speaking, and he was seeing this really great disciple-making underground community in Tampa in the inner city context happen. Lots of lives change, starting lots of micro churches similar to our outposts. And, and I remember asking him, hey, if you went to the suburbs, what, what would you do differently? What would it look like? And his answer really surprised me because I thought he'd be like, oh, dude, it'd be so much easier because we'd have resources and we'd have ability to do things. And that's not what he said. He said it would be so much harder. I was like, why is that? Well, because in the, the suburbs, people have resources. They have the ability to go do things that they want to do and be a little more selfish with their time. And they like to isolate themselves from other people and often see themselves in competition for one another, with one another. In fact, if you just look at their homes, he said, this is not me, he said this, he's like, they build fences around their properties so that they can keep their neighbors out. And the most interaction, I'm as guilty as anybody, the most interaction sometimes they will have is saying hi to somebody as they're walking away from them into their home. And man, I got convicted. Most of us in suburban Christianity, and we have people that don't live in the suburbs, a part of our church, but this, this building is located in Carmel in one of the northern suburbs of Indianapolis for those attending online. And, and we can often isolate ourselves from the very community we need the most. In fact, did you realize that there was a Harvard study that, that was done that said 36% of Americans, 36% are seriously lonely. You would think, but that's not true for young adults because they have more social time. They can have a uh, larger group of friends. Actually, young adults, 18 to 25, were the, the loneliest. 61% said they were seriously lonely. Uh, moms in the room, Ma, uh, mothers of young kids, 51% said that they were seriously lonely, didn't have adult relationships and adult conversations outside of the home. I don't know about you, but that's one of the simplest things that the local church can correct to bring community to a lonely world. In fact, what most people do when we need community the most is when we reject it from our life. During the two years of the pandemic, when people felt more isolated than ever before, rather than seeing community rise, we saw a drug and alcohol addiction rise by 13% because we escaped to those things rather than dealing with the problems and issues in our lives. I wanna tell you this morning what we're talking about is incredibly important. I think it's so valuable. Uh, Paul talks a lot about it here in Romans chapter 12, but I wanna warn you ahead of time. This is gonna take some work in your life. I got three kids and they all have this amazing talent. The first time they ever do any activity or any sport, they are already an expert at it. It's, it's incredible. Like my son uh, got involved in basketball when he was really young. And if you asked him at that age, what do you want to do when you, want to, when you grow up? I want to play in the NBA. Okay, so you want to like practice like hours and hours and hours every day and really hone your skills. No, no, I don't want to do that. You don't realize I'm already amazing at this. Just give me the ball. I want to tell you, you need community. But if you don't work at it, if you don't develop your skills and getting to know each other, opening up, being vulnerable, being willing to hear from other people, to be encouraged, to be challenged, it's going to be some hard work. But that's what healthy community looks like. And it, it 
is going to bring a value to your life you're not going to find anywhere else. So it's real simple this morning. Through Romans chapter 12, what does healthy Christian community look like? In healthy Christian community, we're going to have three simple points. I'm going to do one and three. Shalanda will do uh, point number two. The first point is this. It might be the hardest part. We approach others with a mirror and not a magnifying glass. If you're taking notes, in healthy Christian community, we approach others with a mirror and not a magnifying glass. Look what Paul wrote in Romans 12, verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. In a selfish culture where it's, I'm going to get mine, I'm going to grind it out, get what I deserve, rather than what Jesus told us to live, God first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and being, the Shema. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. God first, others second, I'm third. Is the approach that Jesus demonstrated for us of how to live in healthy Christian community. In fact, it goes on, it says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving in the Lord, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with the Lord's people who are in need, practice hospitality that you have to understand you're not perfect, so don't demand perfection of others. It's gonna require you to, to not look at their lives and see all of their problems with our judgmental magnifying glass, to use that analogy, and instead to look in the mirror with a little self-reflection. And that requires humility of us, right? First Timothy 1, verse 15, Paul writes to his protege, his disciple Timothy, in Ephesus. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. The apostle Paul, who wrote all these books in the New Testament that Shalanda talked about, he says, I am the worst of sinners. And as he begins to address things in the churches, he repeatedly demonstrates the humility that Christ lived with. That's why in verse 16, he goes on and says, but for that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as I am an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. That the God that created you, that we sang about earlier, that he's going to run after you, keep on running, keep on running, keep on running after you. He's going to pursue you and pursue you and pursue you. He's patiently waiting on you. And so if you're going to live like Christ lived, it requires then you have that same patience in the pursuit of others. When you can't fix all your problems, all their problems, because let's just admit, can we say this out loud, people are annoying. Can we all agree on that? People can be annoying. They can drive you nuts. You can see all the problems with them. You can, you can see, I don't know about you, but I can always see how to fix someone else's life. But to self-reflect and go, okay, well, how? I can't change someone else, but I can change me. That's why Paul wrote earlier in Romans 7, verse 18, for I know the good itself does not dwell in me. That is in my sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. He says, for us today, I want to be this healthy person who doesn't judge others and look at them with a magnifying glass and looks in the mirror and all that. But for some reason, I keep failing. And instead, to admit that it's not me, but it's Christ within me. And in a moment here, you're going to hear a, a story from Shalanda about how Christ within her challenged her and changed her way of thinking on this. And it made an impact in her life. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, 
you'll be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank, or literally the log, in your own eye? I don't know about you, but if God's going to judge me like I can judge other people sometimes, they, we're not in for a good outcome. <laughs> Anybody with me on that? To look at the, the plank in my own eye, the log in my own eye, before I look at the sawdust, to look, to look at in the mirror and not with a magnifying glass. Do you realize that uh, a huge thing that changed my life was when I gave my life to Christ and I said, I want a relationship with you, Jesus. I got into a Bible study with a bunch of fraternity guys. I was 19 years old, and nobody there was a professional Christian. <laughs> None of us had all the right answers, but we were honest. It changed my life. Honesty in community can change our life, but if we look to just judge others first rather than to look in the mirror and self-reflect, we're going to miss out on healthy community. So point number one, again, if you're taking notes in healthy community, you look with a mirror and not a magnifying glass. And number two, Shalanda is going to talk about then we become peacemakers. All right, guys, we're gonna jump straight into scripture when it talks about we are called to be peacemakers. Romans chapter 12, verse 14 to 18. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Be at peace. Live in harmony. Those are some things that can present a challenge to many of us. And we need so much help from the Holy Spirit to help us to be able to do those things. Because it's tough. It is hard. It is a challenge. It is so much easier to be able to mourn with those who mourn and bring dinners and bring gifts to baby showers and all that That stuff. You can totally do that. But to live at peace and harmony with your neighbor who continues to get on your nerves over and over and over. I'm about to share this story here in a minute. But I want you to know that James and I have lived in different cities in Indiana, so do not try to pinpoint who this is. And for the sake of protecting her identity, I'm going to call her Miss Blueberry. So Miss Blueberry, one day she comes over to me and she addresses and is like, hey, I just noticed that we have the same outdoor lighting fixtures in the ground on the landscape. It's like, really? She's like, yeah. She said, but one of mine, she said, the top blew off, you know, and so I have like one missing. And I was just like, oh, I'm so sorry to hear about that. And she was like, yeah, we were just talking. You know, our kids play together, all these amazing different things. And then one day I pulled up in my driveway, and guess what? Lo and behold, I have a life as you're missing. <laughs> now, I don't know who she thinks. <laughs> <laughs> that I don't know. I couldn't pinpoint it towards her. But anyway, so I was like, man, this is so cool. She chose me. I mean, it could have been anybody else, but she chose to take it from me. I mean, I'm not the only one in the neighborhood with this light picture. It is so cool. I'm so honored. Thank you, Lord. I've been preparing for this day. Brittany, can we really tell them how I really felt?
the world? I soon I can't even get out the car. I called my husband, James. Like, you won't even believe what she did this time. So I'm like explaining the story to him, and like he's helping to bring me down from a level 10 down. He's like Enneagram 9, so he's definitely focusing a peacemaker, but I live in the anger triad. Just want to let you know that. So I go over and I knock on the door. And I'm like talking to her husband and we're explaining the story to him, you know, just by a little bit, not too much to like accuse anybody. He was like, well, you know, we didn't have all the fixtures. You know, we had one and it went, you know, top blew off and tell the whole story again. He's like, but now we got them all. I was like, well, isn't that wonderful? When Miss Blueberry gets home, can you tell her come see me? And so um, when she came home, she didn't come see me. I was out in the back reading books with the kids, and she comes out, and she's like playing with her dog, and I'm like, Miss Bluey, come on over here. So she comes over, and like I explain like the situation. I was just like, do you know anything about that? Nope, don't know nothing about it. Okay, that's interesting. So like explain this, 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 that again, and I gave her another opportunity to fess up, y'all. She still denied it. And you know, it is not easy to be able to do that, but between that time and that time, I had already been able to pray and really be able to seek God on how I was going to handle that situation. And that type of knowledge does not come without being in community with one another and learning how iron can sharpen iron and how you can get in your word and the word gets down in and inside of you so that you can be able to have a powerful experience in life, bring life change to someone. Now, I'm not telling this story to be able to say that I'm great, because guess what? I got a million other stories where I did not get it right. (laughs) And I can totally share those with you, but today is not the time. Today I'm talking about what I did right, y'all. So So I just let her go about her merry way. We just started doing life, but, you know, I did not push away, because that's our natural tendency, is to push away, to avoid to like act like, you know, you didn't thought about cleaning out your garage, but you're going to get that garage cleaned out so you can pull into your driveway and shut the door so you don't have to speak to nobody, right? <laughs> That's what natural tendency wants to do. The natural tendency in me wants to go and take that back, kick down the rest of hers, <laughs> look at her ring camera and be like, nah, nah. But no, the Holy Spirit got a hold of me, y'all. And I'm like, so I'm doing the right thing baked her some cookies, and then she went and got some flowers, and I went outside, helped her plant her flowers. Do you imagine the look of perplexity on her face? She was confused because this is not natural. It doesn't happen like that. Like, what? You know, I want to push away, and I cannot believe that you're drawing close, you're leaning in, because that's what it means to be a peacemaker. We come in, and we make peace. We bring reconciliation. Oftentimes, we want to be peacekeepers, and we're like, I'm just going to just stay away and stay my distance. But what that ends up doing is it ends up bringing a pillar, a fence between other relationships. The background that I have as a registered nurse before I was called into ministry, you know, I know that if a blister is on your foot and it gets infected and it's bacterial, and you just leave that untreated, what that ends up doing is it can get worse, cellulitis will develop, you still leave that untreated, all of a sudden it gets into your bloodstream, you get an infection internally like that and you can die. Guys, we have got to get this right. We've got to be able to allow the Lord 
to take care of our bottles, fight them, live in harmony with one another, know that we can go in and approach and have those difficult and challenging conversations so that we can get that right. Because guess what? If you're having those difficult stuff at work and you take that and you harbor that, you don't deal with it, you bring it home, next thing you know, you're fussing and fighting with your kids and your husband and they don't know what happened to mama. You know, and it has nothing to do with them. So it is so good that we get to be at peace and harmony and live with that because guess what? Well, I love when it says here that do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone because you, you're called to be able to live in community. You have a purpose and God wants to continue to use you. You are a light that is set on a hill so that everyone can get to know who this Jesus is. And sometimes it's because of the way that we have responded to situations in not so a normal way. And so grateful to be able to share this story with you guys. So who do you need to forgive today? If we could just think about that and what difficult conversations that we need to have that we're avoiding, and bring that before God, and you can bring it before your rooted community because I know all y'all gonna sign up today. Yeah, yeah. So it's so cool because we can take that, bring it in, and have some good, healthy conversations and discussions so that we know what it looks like to actually respond in a way that is more godly and peaceful. Thank you. So powerful. Be a, I love that. Be a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper, to really take action. Because, man, if that sore festers, the body of Christ can suffer, right? If one part of the body is suffering and we don't deal with the issues going on. Such a healthy reminder. But if we're being honest, how many of you would have loved to have seen Pastor Shalanda go James Brown on the neighborhood? Come on out. I'd have paid admission for that. That would have been, that would have been fun. But, but the reality is, right, like the natural part of us wants to respond in emotion and get angry and cause things to become worse. And the still small voice of the Lord that Shalana took the time to hear from in that moment caused her to actually love her neighbor well. I don't know about you, but I want to I do that. God doesn't just call us to, to be peacemakers, though. He, he takes it even a step farther. He calls us to even love our enemies, Think about that. Our enemies. To love the very people that are maybe causing you opposition in your life. Look what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 19 to 20. To finish off our passage for today. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. I love that. Get revenge, right? Like it said, do not take revenge. Shalanda chose not to do that. But instead, my dear friends, leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. But the reality is what Shalanda shared with you is really, really hard to do, isn't it? The truth is I've failed at this more than I've succeeded in fact, if I'm being real, this, I, I needed to hear this message myself this week multiple times in my own relationships. And even just last weekend, I was at a high school tennis tournament, a big one that my son was playing in. They were in the semifinals in this big match. And we're not supposed to take revenge on our enemy, right? Well, my, my son was playing and they were winning. And 
uh, a player from the other team who was really good and really strong, hit a really hard ball. He was five feet from the net. My son's partner was at the net, and he hit it as hard as he possibly could right at my son's partner's head and just drilled him right in the head. Now, here's the thing. In tennis, that's an entirely legal uh, move. In fact, it's a smart move. You win the point when you do that, but there's a little unwritten rule that when you do that, you're supposed to go, everybody play uh, racket sports out there. Oh, oh, sorry, my bad, my bad, right? We all know you meant to do it, but just say that you didn't mean to do it, my bad, and it makes it better. It's kind of unwritten rule. But instead of doing that, he looked right at the guy he just drilled and he began to flex like this and went, oh yeah. And he took the next 30 seconds to celebrate. And I'm telling you, as a dad on a sideline, my competitive nature came over me. And I, I just immediately yelled, hit him back. <laughs> I was a pastor at this big public event, telling him, take revenge, hit him back. And I started going, oh man, what am I doing? I'm leading these uh, young men in the wrong way. But didn't that come natural to you? Hit them back, because it's about winning. When you're fighting with your spouse at home, it's not about who's right and wrong. It's about who's going to win the argument. Hit them back. When your kids are, are at home and you're having big disagreements, it's, it's not even about whether you're growing them into a healthy disciple of Christ. It often becomes about winning. When, when you're having tr trouble at work and you're having disagreements and arguments, even those who are your enemies at work, it's often about defeating them and winning. In the political spectrum, in our communities with socioeconomic issues, it often becomes about winning, not about loving people the way Christ loved people. And I just want to challenge us this, as a church community to say, if we're going to be the body of Christ, we have to address the blisters and the sores and say we need to lovingly reconcile with each other. But what most of us do, we cut them off, get rid of the cancer in our life. And I'm not telling you to set up healthy boundaries. I'm not telling you to have self-hate in your life. Certainly not. You were created in the image of God. He loves you. He, he has a purpose and plan for your life. You can live with great boldness and be proud of who you are in Christ. And you don't have to be embarrassed and ashamed of that. But what I am telling you, our goal as followers of Jesus is not to win. Our goal is to love, including love our enemies. This is how they will know our, we are Christians, disciples of Jesus, by our love. In fact, as we close out our time, I want to remind us of Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, and how he actually lived. On the last night that he had with the 12 men, young men he'd been pouring into for three years, he had a meal with them, the Last Supper. I'm sure you're familiar with it. But have you ever thought about what was occurring at that supper? In just the next moments, one of the guys he's been with for three years, the treasurer of the group, like a leader in their community, Judas Iscariot, is going to sell him out for 30 pieces of silver, and he's eating a meal with him. And here's what John uh, 13, before the passage where Jesus talks about loving people, in John 13, in verse 1, it says this. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. He knows he's about to be crucified, the most heinous way to die in their culture. To suffocate to death as punishment in front of your friends and family. And he says, having loved his own who were in the world, 
He loved them to the very end. I don't know about you, but I want to love until the very end. Those in my sphere of influence, I want to be known for my love. A little self-reflection I do every once in a while is to think about my life, and I challenge you to do this. Am I known for my love? He says, I want to love until the very end. And then he gets an opportunity to actually practice that. Look what happens in verse three. Jesus knew that the father had put all things under his power. He had all power in the world and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel and wrapped, that was wrapped around him. That at the Last Supper, before he's going to go to the cross, he, he takes his outer garment off, he gets vulnerable with the disciples, he gets a towel, and he goes around and washes each of their feet. Now, you may not mo- know much about first century footwear, but they wore open-toed sandals uh, out of leather, and you walked on very dirty roads often, and your main form of transportation was most often walking, and so your, your feet were just covered in filth. And these were young teenage guys, by the way. And Jesus, on his last meal with them, gets vulnerable, kneels down, and washes each of their feet. But if that wasn't enough, he even goes to Judas, the guy that's about to betray him for 30 pieces of silver that he's going to die a gruesome death because of. And he gets down on his knee, and he washes the guy's feet. When, if you're going to love people well, it's going to come at a cost. It's going to take humility, vulnerability, a servant attitude. It doesn't come natural to us. As Paul said, in the flesh, he wants to often act in ways that aren't honoring to Christ. But when you listen to the still small voice of the Lord, you get moments where you could actually be used by God. You're going to have to get vulnerable and dirty. He chose to even wash the feet of the very one who was going to betray him. I thought of just a few of the things it's going to cost you if you're going to love people well. To be a part of any type of healthy community, it's going to take these things. Time. Some of you, that's the big thing. You don't have enough time to give and you're not willing to make time for real community. It's why you have nobody to talk to. You're one of the 36% that feel seriously lonely or you're one of the the, the 61%, or maybe there are other things that aren't of your doing that you can't control, but you're experiencing. The, I want to tell you, if you're going to have Christian community, it's going to take your time. It's going to take energy. That maybe you feel exhausted all the time and opening yourself up to others people, other people's problems is not high on your list of things to do. I get it. It's going to take prayer. It's going to take compassion. It's going to take love. It's going to take healing in our lives. And it's going to take so much more. Jesus said people would know we're his disciples when we love each other. And love in the body of Christ looks like when a friend is hurting, you're, you're on the phone with them, talking to them. You're going over to their house to bring them a meal when they're sick. When they lost a loved one, you're there at the funeral, mourning with those who mourn, crying alongside them. When, when everybody else has turned their back on them because they made a mistake, you're there to be a, an arm, a shoulder for them to rest on. You're going to pray for them. You're going to put God first in your lives, others second, and yourself third. It's the type of humble life that leads to real, genuine community. 
And they have problems with their kids. You don't just judge them and look with the magnifying glass and tell them why this is all happening. You pray for them. You're an ear when they need to talk to somebody and you just listen. Guys, I'm telling you, when people actually experience real, healthy Christian community, and this is what Paul's getting at to the church in Rome, they will never, they will never want anything else in their life. They will never give up on that community because they have had somebody be there for them when everybody else turned their back. And I don't know about you, but I want to be known for that type of love. And I need that reminder in my own relationship with my kids, in my own marriage, in my own relationship with my coworkers. I need that reminder when it comes to even leading the church of what the body of Christ is meant to look like. And I don't know about you today, that sometimes means we have to forgive people that we don't want to forgive. And I'm not telling you to forgive somebody who's never repented. But that, that, that lack of forgiveness is the thing that's weighing us down. And I wonder, it, Jesus even said, if you're going to take communion, which we're going to do next Sunday, so you've got a week to pray about this. If you're going to take communion, you, got, you need to forgive a, a brother or sister in Christ. Or you need to ask for forgiveness. Don't take and share in communion until you've done that. Because we're going to be peacemakers and reconcilers. And we're even going to love our enemies well. As we close out our time, I don't know what season of life you're in. I don't know where you're at as a disciple of Jesus. I don't even know if you're a Christian yet, but what I want you to know is God loves you. He's going to keep pursuing you and running after you and running after you and running after you. And when you find him, if you don't have other believers to walk alongside you, to help you in that walk, you're going to miss out on the greatest asset of your life. You're going to be doing it all alone, an isolated Christian like the rest of suburban America, and it's not meant to be that way. You're not meant to build fences around uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. You're meant to welcome people in. And so some of you, many of you, you need to sign up for Rooted this morning. You need to do it right now. It starts Wednesday night, 6.30, right here in this space, 6.30 to 8. care is provided. There's a small cost. If you can't afford it, we'll pay for it. If you can't do Wednesday night, we've got a Monday night group as well. We can get childcare there if you need it. We have no excuses. We're going to figure it out. I even told we have different people come from recovery homes. We'll get one, a group started in a recovery home if we need to do. Just reach out to us. But we want everybody to find Christian community. If you've already been through Rooted and you don't have a huddle or an outpost that you're a part of, the huddle is just uh, the discipleship, Jesus and the 12, right? Pouring in and being discipled. And our outposts are communities on mission, book of Acts, house churches that are actually living their faith out in the community. You are not meant to do this alone. You're meant to have believers walk alongside you, pray with you, encourage you. And you might say, okay, I get it. And I want to tell you, do you? Because the majority of American Christians will walk out of a service like this and nothing will change. I want you to know how much God loves you. And he's got people just waiting to help encourage you. But it's going to take some effort on your part and some vulnerability and the realization that nobody's perfect in here. So I invite you to join the underground community of, of Jesus Christ I pray that it's here at Mercy Road Carmel. If it's not, we will help you find the right church community to not just be worship service attenders, but to find real genuine community that helps us grow in Christ. Will you pray with me? Lord, I just uh, I thank you for every person here. All these people came out, uh, even filling up the 1130 service on Labor Day weekend. God, I pray that that is honored. And I just want to sh share, Lord, that I'm not perfect. So anything that came from me and not from you, I pray that they don't remember it. 
They don't even hear it, let it sink in. But what is from you, God? I have to imagine there are some people here, many of us here, who probably feel isolated, even alone, like we don't have people to talk to about the real stuff in our life. And we're gonna change that this morning. We're gonna join with your community. We're gonna get involved in what you're doing. And so if that's you in the room that you wanna get involved in the local church, I'm not gonna have you sign up for anything right now. I'm just gonna have you pray with me. Pray this, God, I want the type of community Paul challenged us to have in Romans 12, where we really love each other well and are there for each other. Help me to find that. People to encourage me and to pray for me, who understand what I'm going through and can walk alongside me. And so on this morning, Labor Day weekend, 2023, I commit my life not only to you as Lord, but my life to be involved in the local church and open myself up to new friends and new community. We love you, Jesus. We give you this morning and we worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.